art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no home, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink, thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own, into our house enter thou not, through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan. Hi, Dan. I'm Lindsay. Hello, Lindsay. Hello. Uh, real quick, something special in the badmagicmerch.com store this week. What is it? An Annabelle exclusive collection. The oh, Scared yeah. to the Gym Time collection. It's really good. Go work out while getting scared. Uh, so much fun stuff. Duffel bag, shirt, notebook, clipboard, water bottle, uh, sticker, even another uh, an after gym time towel. So go check it out for yourself, badmagicmerch.com. And Annabelle's, you'll need your password to get it. So just remember, you know what it is. And then I uh, hope you had fun at the f- uh, first annual Scared to Death Live Haunted Halloween, True Tales of Hallow's Eve Horror. I hope we did too. We're recording this before that. Sorry. I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that we did. I'm assuming that our costumes were great. Mm-hmm, thanks to Monique. Yep. I'm assuming that the stories were really scary. Yeah. Uh, and I'm guessing I probably ate a lot of Halloween candy. And, I, and, I, and it feels like a lot of people um, showed up because ticket sales have been good, so we appreciate that. Yeah, so thanks. Uh, and also, I hope you had a great Halloween. Since this is, you know, just the first episode after Halloween this year, hope you wore the best costume, had the coolest jack-o'-lantern, and, uh, you know, had the best candy. Mm, which is dots. Mm, I like, you know what, at the Spokane Comedy Club recently, they have so much candy in the green room. <laughs> I know. And it feels like Halloween, and yeah. I usually don't eat that kind of grocery store candy anymore. I mean, I like I like a cookie, a pastry, all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but I don't just get like regular candy very often. Mm-hmm. But I had an Almond Joy, and I'm like, oh, I forgot how much I love you those. You sure did. Man, so yeah, good. But you act like I don't keep candy in the house. You know, I... I keep I I do eat candy I guess on a regular basis I eat M and M's like they're going out of style because you constantly fill our house full of M M M's. Well, there's just like that bowl by the TV downstairs, and there's like a variety of flavors. There's the M mm-hmm. and M's with the peanut butter. I get peanuts, the coconut shell M M&M. and M. There's one of them has coconut a coconut tint a uh, hint in it. Of uh, flavor. no. Yep. There's a dark chocolate. Maybe that's there's there's coconut in one of them. I know there is. I did not buy coconut. I don't even think that's an M and M flavor. Well. I taste coconut on okay. some of the tiny M&M's. Your taste buds are whack. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, real quick, again, another announcement. I had no idea how much we're donating because, uh, again, when this is recorded, you know, uh, we haven't been in November yet. But the Bad Magic Productions charity of the month for November is IAVA, Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America. From their mission statement, we are here to serve and empower our post-9-11 veterans community. We believe these dynamic men and women represent America's future, our next greatest generation. They are our they are our true north, and everything we do is designed to focus on them and the positive future they bring to the world. They offer all of the guidance and support to uh, where those you know, you know resources are for veterans, things like how to get and use the GI Bill, help with housing, mental health support, Lots of good stuff. And just after recent events with the Afghanistan withdrawal and with Veterans Day coming up, it felt like a, a great charity to pick. Correct. Every November, we <clears throat> always do a Veterans mm-hmm. chatter, Charity. Yes. Do you know what else is? No, uh, like So Veterans Day is November 11th. birthday. Lindsay's birthday, November 11th. There you go. Every year. Every year. 11-11. Can't mess it up. <laughs> and yet. I haven't messed it up. <laughs> Come on. Get out of here. I haven't messed it up. 
There was that one year. Last minute. There was one year. What did I do one year? You forgot to get me a card. We were in Buffalo, New York. And oh, Pat damn. and Joanne brought me presents. And then I woke and like you just you were like, Oh, well, I thought we were celebrating later. And I was like, Yeah, but a card on the day. Yeah, okay. Eek. All right. Eek. Forgiven. Forgive. Oh boy. But not forgotten. <laughs> How many stories? I actually have three uh, today. Three this week. Yeah, three this week. Um let's see. What okay, so my first story, I would say it is more interesting than scary, but like definitely gives you that like, okay, okay. Uh-huh. I feel like my theme of my stories this week is like not like whoa scary. Because yeah. we did so many big scares in October, but more like confirmation stories, like, okay, mm-hmm, that adds up. Because sometimes yeah. what I need is to like pull away a little bit and like telescope out and look at the totality of things mm-hmm. and see like oh okay well it doesn't always have to be terrifying yeah. right like it, it can still be true so i have three Min- stories that are kind of in that vein minor terrifying so it's going to balance it out great i have just nothing but horror you didn't get my memo <laughs> uh and also speaking speaking of horror uh thanks to spotify for putting us on the oh, yeah. uh, spooky stories playlist i believe that's the name of it but it's a it's it's a spotify it like its biggest kind of uh Haunted Tales, they did a, you know, 31 days leading up to Halloween playlist, mm-hmm. and we made that along with about eight or nine other podcasts, maybe 10 or 11, somewhere mm-hmm. in there, but not that many. And so, yeah, we're very grateful. It's a huge playlist. Mm-hmm. And thanks to all of you who have come over from that. Thank you. Um, okay, so I'm going to start out with a super creepy story set only a few hours from the studio. Oh. Near Missoula, Montana. <gasps> Young couple gets snowed in at an old ranch with a number of interesting dolls. E. They seem to do a number of interesting things. I'm going to Missoula soon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, hopefully none of these dolls are going to be around where you're going to be. Mm-hmm. I'll spoil it if I give anything else away. And then following that up with a super intense demonic possession case coming from the Philippines in the early 1950s. Hmm. The case of Clarita Villanueva. Uh, doesn't really remind me of any other possession stories. I think you're really going to hate it because I know these ones scare you. Um, I'm just laughing a little bit in my head because in high school, I dated mm-hmm. a guy named Wes Villanueva mm-hmm. and we made up a song about him. It was like so stupid. It was okay. like, Westerban Villanueva from Puerto Rico. And we would just do that That's all the, the time. the whole song? That was the whole thing. And it was so dumb. And like when you're in high school, you just think you're so funny. Yeah. And now you said Villanueva and immediately my brain. Really nice guy. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. Okay. Well, maybe he's listening. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> uh, are you ready to get cold and scared in Montana? I know. It's freezing in here. Also, check me out. Hot pink tie-dye socks. Mm-hmm. Hot pink sweater. I got a thing going on. Oh, man. Check me out. I got <gasps> I got a little spooky sock action. Where'd you get those socks? I got them from, I don't know, what's it called? MeUndies. MeUndies. Oh, they're that so little, cute. Little Halloween, little, little jack-o'-lantern. <laughs> Come back. I got oh, them my stories. You left me hanging. <laughs> Okay. Okay, let's so, do it. So there's no setup on this one. We just get right into it. Okay, go for it. Time now for the tale of the interloper. Chris and Lori thought they'd lucked out. A week before the pandemic lockdowns began in March of 2020, they closed on a new home and a new project, a beautiful but dilapidated ranch house outside of Missoula, Montana. On a nice tract of land, the old ranch house and barn had once been a lodge stopover for travelers and Chris and Lori had been excited to start on the project of preserving the old structures while updating it to be a good second home. Both of them had day jobs, but since they'd met, they picked up cash by flipping houses, and when they saw the ranch house's real estate listing, Lori told Chris she knew that it would be a hard one to let go. Well, maybe we don't have to let it go, Chris said, smiling slightly as they peered at the laptop screen from their couch in their apartment in Boulder, Colorado. In the weeks before they closed, the two women dreamed of driving to the Montana ranch house, 
Maybe one day starting a family there, of balancing the hustle and bustle of a city life with some quiet moments where their land stretched out in front of them and there weren't any neighbors for miles and miles, unless you counted the pheasants and elk. And then the pandemic hit, and Chris and Lori had to make a choice. Were they going to stay in their tiny apartment in Boulder or relocate to Missoula to see this out? Looking at the pictures the real estate agents had sent them, the grass sparkling with dew in the sunlight, and the deer bending to drink from a picturesque creek, the decision seemed easy. Let's go to Missoula, Lori said. And from Chris's face, she knew that she'd said exactly what she was thinking. No time like the present, right? A remote house where we won't really come into contact with anyone and we can keep working seems like the ideal place to be. So they sublet their apartment, packed up, and headed to Missoula. As they drove with their U-Haul behind them, Chris murmured to Lori that maybe this had been a stroke of good luck or of fate, whatever you wanted to call it, that they had bought the house at the exact right time. But they would soon find out that it would be anything but a stroke of good luck. They arrived at the ranch house on a crisp, bright afternoon, having separated the drive into two six-hour stretches. The drive up had been fun, with Lori driving the truck stuck with their moving boxes, Chris on the ox bumping old R&B songs that made them crack up from memories of middle school dances. They were still in tears of laughter, discussing an old favorite song of theirs when the car crunched onto a long, gravel driveway and pulled to a halt. That's it, Lori whispered. Up ahead, in the middle of the large clearing and surrounded on all sides by a distant snow-capped mountain, or on all sides by distant snow-capped mountains, was the old lodge. The ceiling sloped down and still dusted with white from a recent snowfall, the facade looking for all intents and purposes like an old west trading post. There was a pile of logs out front, looking for all the world like nothing had changed since the 1800s. Can you believe it's ours? Lori asked. I feel like out of my depth. All of the other places they'd worked on had been at least semi-updated. But this, this was completely different. Yeah, but imagine how people felt coming here in the 1800s, Chris pointed out, pushing her sunglasses up on her nose. At least we have a car and town's not too far away. By horseback in the winter, back then, shit would have sucked. Lori opened her mouth to ask if Chris thought people had died over here of starvation, disease, cabin fever, but then decided she didn't really want to voice that thought out loud. She knew objectively that most historical buildings had some sort of dark side or gruesome history, and usually she didn't mind it. But something about the idea of being stuck here for the foreseeable future made her feel like she needed to push these thoughts away. Come on, Chris said, let's go inside. They parked the car and walked up to the front porch, the wooden board sagging under their feet. The door was unlocked, and inside, Lori felt like she had suddenly stepped through a portal. She'd expected that someone would have updated the lodge at least a little bit, or cleared it out, but the lodge's one room looked like it could have been something from the days of the Old West, or a movie set. A jumble of pots and pans hung from the ceiling over a coal-burning stove in the back, and on the other side, barrels were stacked ceiling high next to trunks. She saw blankets, baskets, all sorts of dusty old bottles crammed into corners, and in a far corner, chains hung from the ceiling. Lori couldn't guess what they'd been for, but she supposed that ranch life had been a lot different back in the day. Holy shit, she muttered. Well, I guess our first order of business is getting some of this junk out of here. Yeah, Chris said, turning to face the door. Whoa, check it out. Lori looked up and saw a row of taxidermied animal heads. Elk, deer, even a bison, all with dusty, clouded glass eyes. A shiver crawled up Lori's back. Gross, she looked away. You know I love the aesthetic, but I think the taxidermy takes it just a little bit too far. The first week was fun. Lori and Chris mostly avoided dealing with the house, preferring to spend their time tromping through the land, exploring everything their new landscape had to offer. 
They slept in the house as one bed under strange smelling quilts. Laughed about how people must have been so much smaller back in the lodge's glory days because they could barely fit. Everything uncomfortable was easier to deal with with a partner. Chris couldn't stop sneezing because of the dust and her asthma and allergies. They just relocated outside and made dinner over a campfire while they aired out the house. And when Lori cut herself on a piece of glass from an old bottle, Chris was there to bandage her up. But then just their second week there, there were things that got real uncomfortable, partner or not. Lori woke up and realized that the landscape was blanketed in snow. They were now not only stuck on the property, they were stuck inside. Guess it's as good a time as any to get some of this stuff out of here, Chris said when she woke up and the two drank coffee and started on the enormous collection of random items. There was so much that Lori was unsure where to start and made several turns around the room until she spotted something she hadn't seen before, a closet of some kind. She tried the doorknob and found that it was locked. Hey babe, do we have a key for this? Lori called. Chris looked up from the barrel she was examining. I think so, she said, producing the keys that they'd picked up in town at the realtor's office. There was a big one for the padlock around the barn, a barn and a smaller one for the door and even a smaller one yet for the closet, Lori guessed. Come on, let's try it, she said, slipping the key into the lock. It turned and opened. Lori peered in and frowned. It wasn't a closet, like she thought. It was more like a tiny bedroom. Just a small enough space for a little mattress on the floor, but her eyes quickly focused and she saw shelves and shelves climbing the walls. Shelves filled not with random odds and ends like the main house, but carefully set up with so many porcelain dolls. The dolls ranged in sizes from no taller than a pin to the largest which was the size of a small child. This larger doll was by far the most detailed with alabaster skin, faded rosy cheeks, long straight black hair and eyelashes, its hands folded neatly in its lap over its frilly white skirt. The paintwork on its face was so realistic down to the last freckle at the tip of the doll's pointed nose. Lori knew that this doll was clearly the centerpiece. It was leaning against the shelves too large to be in line with the rest. Lori stepped forward to examine it. Weird, she said. Did these dolls belong to the original 1800s owners? They can't be that old, can they? I wonder if they're worth anything. Chris didn't reply. I used to have a doll like that when I was... Lori started, but she was interrupted by a retching sound behind her. She spun around to see Chris clutching the doorframe, her face pale as vomit dripped down her shirt. Lori ran to help her and got her to lay down. After she cleaned up and brought her some water, Chris, who had suffered from asthma her whole life, held Lori's hand weakly. Sorry, she said. I've been feeling weird all day, and I I think it was just a little too much. Just get some rest, Lori said, patting her hand. She didn't want to look worried, but she was troubled. Chris was normally so strong. She'd recently re-roofed her house practically by herself, and today all she'd done was open a few boxes. Was she really sick? Should Should they be going to a hospital? Don't worry about me, Chris said. I think I just need a nap. Okay. Lori said dubiously. She didn't want to start an argument. By dinner time, it it seemed like Chris was feeling better. Right after dinner, when she uncorked a bottle of wine, Lori glanced over at the closet in the bedroom and noticed that the door was was now locked. Weird. Chris had been in bed all afternoon. When had she gotten up to do that? She tried to put it out of her mind. Within a few hours, they were laying in bed, talking softly about their plans for the house. Lori's eyelids were beginning to get heavy, and she knew that she was on the brink of sleep. The sound of the snow against the windows becoming a sort of droning white noise that eased her into half-unconsciousness. And before she knew it, there was a loud sound and Chris was yelling. She heard a thud and she jumped out of bed. She opened her eyes blurly and saw Chris standing in front of the window near their bed. What the fuck was that? Chris was saying. Lori squinted through the darkness and waited, not seeing anything through the dark flurry of snow outside and the curtain hanging in front of the window. 
But then the snow let up for an instant and she saw it. The outline of a child (gasps) standing very still outside the window. Before she knew it, Chris was ripping down the curtain with shaking hands. When she stepped aside, Lori saw the alabaster pale, child-sized doll standing against the window, framed against it. Then, before a stunned Lori could say anything, Chris turned towards her and was shouting, What the fuck were you thinking? You think that's a funny joke? Why the fuck would you do something like that? Chris's face was redder than she'd ever seen it, and Lori imagined briefly that she was going to have an asthmatic episode. Then she'd be left trying to tend to her in a snowstorm. And if she died, she'd have to spend the night with her body. She blinked hard and shook her head. What was wrong with her? Why was she thinking about any of that? I didn't put it there, obviously, she said, sitting up in bed. You have the key. You locked the closet, remember? Chris's face suddenly turned pale. I can't sleep here. I'm going to go sleep in the car. Lori knew from her voice that it would be useless to argue with her. And a moment later, Chris was carrying a blanket, jamming on her boots. And then she was gone, the front door creaking closed behind her. She slept in the car that night and for the next three nights. After that... She came back to the lodge. Lori got the impression that Chris wasn't sleeping too well in the car. There were dark circles around her eyes. And though she made an effort to act normally, her smile were strained and she wasn't that uh, the kind, easygoing gal she'd known for so many years. In response, Lori offered to finish clearing out the house by herself while Chris got some downtime. She suggested Chris go for a hike or read a book, and Chris agreed. I'm going to go do some fishing, Chris decided, the fourth day after the snowstorm. But when she came back after a few hours, she didn't have any fish. Didn't catch anything, Lori said, looking up from where she'd been collecting the old bottles in a box. Or some old bottles in a box. Huh, Chris said. I thought you were, or huh, Chris said. I thought you were going fishing. Now that she said it, Lori hadn't seen Chris carry her fishing stuff out with her either. Or did you go for a hike? I was reading, like you said, Chris muttered. Lori was getting really worried. Chris seemed way off. She was just distracted now, always, her eyes flitting around the room nervously. Lori looked at her hands and realized that Chris wasn't holding a book either. Oh, Okay, she said. What was going on with Chris? What had she been doing? Chris had been gone for almost six hours from noon until dinner time. If she hadn't been fishing and she didn't have a book, what the hell had she been up to out there? Chris was cracking up. Lori suggested that Chris go into town and get some groceries. She had the persistent feeling that one of them had to get out of here. And it seemed like Chris was struggling with the isolation more. She watched her get into the car and pull out into the highway. And then, alone now, she saw them. The dolls from the room dotted around the house like someone was playing a game of hide-and-seek with her. Mm. One behind the curtain, one on the mantel, one behind the stove. Lori blinked. Maybe they'd been there all along, and she, she tried to convince herself, and she just hadn't seen them in the lodge when there was more stuff in it. Or maybe Chris had put them there. But that wasn't much of a reassurance either. As she cleaned up and put things into boxes, she swore she felt her painted eyes watching her. She tried to ignore her racing heart as she put things at random into the box. An old mug, a tattered book, not any of the dolls. Something inside her was telling her to not touch the dolls. When she heard the car pull up again, she rushed outside, glad to not be alone in the house any longer. When she opened the front door, she saw Chris standing on the porch, shopping bags thrown carelessly at her feet. And in her hands was a doll. Just tell me, she said. Did you put this on the doorstep? She held up the doll, a tiny figure in the blue dress with red red ringlets. No. Lori shook her head. In one fluid motion, Chris snapped the head of the doll, pushed past her. Ever so faintly, Lori thought she heard a scream. She was no longer enjoying their new Montana life on any level. She was scared of these dolls, and she was scared of Chris. Over the next few days, Lori tried to pretend that she wasn't seeing the dolls. But the more she tried to ignore them, the more they appeared. 
And then one night, Lori was making dinner when a crash sent her running to the front porch to see that a bird had hit the window so hard that the window had broken. Or at least that's what she initially thought. She looked down at the de- As she looked down at the dead bird, she saw that leaning over its small black body was a doll with pigtails. Her black eyes staring up at Lori unapologetically, like a cat who had just brought a dead mouse to its owner. She had to drive into town to get a big, big, to get a big piece of heavy plastic tarp to cover the window with it. Or to cover the window with, my God, I can't read today, until they could have someone replace it. She asked Chris to come with her, but she didn't want to leave the house. Chris had become more and more reclusive. She'd become troubled. Lori was starting to think about calling the authorities, seeing if she could have some kind of 72-hour psychiatric hold put on Chris. But if they refused, she didn't want to be stuck in the house with her. Chris was so different now. She had always previously been a talkative person who normally loved nothing more than to stay up late with Lori, discussing their plans for the next day or their plans for the future. But now, now she only spoke a few words each day. Lori thought that Chris had to been suffering from some kind of bout of mental illness, something brought on by the house. Moving the dolls must be part of this mental illness, some sort of fugue state she was falling into. But how did that explain the little screams? Every time Chris saw a doll now, she quickly smashed it against whatever surface was close by, and every time, Lori thought she heard a little scream. That wasn't evidence of Chris being crazy, was it? Lori had to accept that that was evidence of her going crazy. Or it was evidence of something else. What was worse? Her losing her mind or the dolls being somehow alive? What if both her and her girlfriend were losing their minds and they were the only two people around for miles and miles? That seemed dangerous too. Dolls being more than dolls with no one else around for for miles, that seemed more dangerous. Lori did her best to push all these thoughts out of her mind. A few more days passed. Lori tried to focus on a daily routine, keep busy, keep her mind from wandering. Every morning, Lori puttered around purposefully, not looking at the dolls while Chris disappeared somewhere and returned hours later. A few times, Lori swore she saw blood on Chris's hands, but she always hid them quickly in her pockets and Lori was too frightened to ask what she'd been doing. One morning, about a month into their Montana nightmare, while Chris was out, Lori was coming back from loading a box into the car to take to the dump when she noticed something she'd never seen before. The tiny room in the back of the house, the doll room, and a tiny window over which a lacy curtain hung And as she watched, the curtain fluttered. She looked around, nothing for miles. Even the animals had stopped appearing in the distance recently, uh, which she attempted to reason was due to migratory patterns, the coming of spring. But she knew deep down it was something else the animals uh, was, you know, that was keeping the animals from coming around. She stepped hesitantly into the house and went to the back. The door was unlocked. Not good. Chris had always left it locked. She eased open the door and gasped. The doll collection had at least doubled. There were hundreds of them now, spilling across the shelves. Any semblance of order was gone. And the biggest one, the one with the dark hair and porcelain skin, had disappeared. Bam! The door slammed behind her, so only the light was coming in was a weak light from the small windows, throwing Lori into a sickly half-darkness. She screamed and pounded on the door, then heard the telltale sound of the lock clicking. And then a slow, low laugh. Chris's laugh. Chris? Lori screamed. Chris, what the fuck are you doing? You don't want to be with me, Chris replied, her voice gravelly and low. Lori realized that there was still laughter, a different high-pitched laughter at the same time as Chris was speaking. You want to be with them. You hate me. I I I don't hate you, she begged, trying not to let her legs give out. She felt like the dolls were closing in on her, could even feel the brush of cloth against her ankles like they were beginning to surround her. She was about to become hysterical. I love you, she screamed. Please let me out. 
She says that you don't love me. She says that you don't want to be with me. You never wanted to be with me. You wanted to trap me here so you could be with them, her sisters. But she and I are going to leave together. She? The the doll? What are you doing? Was that even Chris she was still talking to? Or had she become something else? Please, she begged, kicking her legs against the doll. Please just let me out. You were going to leave me with them, Chris replied. You were going to leave me to rot here. It was the last thing she heard her say before she heard footsteps receding and then the car door slammed shut. She waited for the sound of the car's engine before she kicked out the tiny window, managed to splinter through the wall. Thank God it was such old wood, enough to get her body through, though it left long scratches on her arms. She knew she'd never come back here. The next few days were a blur. She walked until the car picked her up, which thankfully took her to town, and there she managed to call a family member, her sister, who later was able to pick her up from a 24-hour diner. After that, it was a slow process to pick her life back up, and she didn't hear anything from Chris again. She would later be investigated in Chris's disappearance, but not charged with anything. When she left Montana, as her sister's car pulled out of the diner parking lot, she swore she could see a little doll under the glowing neon sign, half its face bathed in red, before they turned a corner in the road. Had it hunted her down? Was it trying to find her? What did it want with her? Did Chris send it? Was it still trying to find her? Lori still waits for the day a doll or many dolls find her, and when they do, she expects whatever Chris is now to be with them. It's thoughts like these that also leave her wondering how much longer she can hold on to what little sanity she has left. My God. It's a weird story, right? It's a weird story. I didn't expect uh, Chris to just go missing. Mm-hmm. Just to go nuts and leave. I thought I thought for sure she'd be like, I went to town. I, you know, I, I found mm-hmm. her. I called her on her cell phone. I found her. And during the pandemic, so this just happened. According to these, uh, whoever posted this, yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. La, la, la. <laughs> I, I like some of the imagery in it. Oh, the dolls. I mean, dolls are like just... Like a room of dolls. Oh, and dolls are so creepy. Mm-hmm. Just, oh, and the porcelain dolls, like, it's a specific kind of doll. It's not like it was a room full of Barbie dolls, like, you know, blonde, tiny-waisted, yeah. big-boobed ladies. They're like those sure. weird, creepy, uncomfortable dolls. Oh. And, and to be, and to be like, snowed in with um, little dolls was a, a interesting setting. Yeah, I yeah. liked it. Yeah, that room. Mm-hmm. I, that it had a mattress. I I was expecting there to be some sort of like murder mystery, some sort yeah. of like somebody was tormented and killed in that room, and then like that spirit was coming back. And mm-hmm. I, I could not have predicted where this was going, which was great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just something. Yeah, just a different rhythm to that story. Yeah. Uh, no pics from it, but this is the kind of isolated, snowed in cabin I imagine them being stuck together in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that is a good setting. I'm trying <sighs> to think of like horror movies. That is movies so I've, beautiful. It is so pretty. I, I can't think, I know I'm, I'm sure I've seen them, but I can't think of any like horror movies I've seen in like a snowed in winter setting. I feel like usually it's more like a summer setting where people mm-hmm. like running through the woods and not having to worry about snow. Right, right. Uh, but being snowed in, like stuck in a cabin. Yeah. With somebody else going, you know, mad. Uh, have uh, you ever been snowed in anywhere? Mm, have I, I don't think I've ever been snowed in anywhere. I mean, I've like been places where there's a lot of snow and then you have to really do a lot of shoveling to like get your car out like, right but not actually truly snowed in no me either when i when i was a kid i always like dreamed of it because i remember oh, yeah. like my parents would talk about like oh this one winter when we were kids you know the snow came up to the front door and you couldn't leave like and <laughs> yeah. it always just sounded so exciting to mm-hmm. just actually i think it's sort of that feeling that we all got at the beginning of the pandemic where it was like you had to stay home yeah but not only you 
everyone. So everyone right. was on the same page and you weren't missing out on anything because no one was yeah. doing anything. Mm-hmm. And it feels sort of novel and special. Playing games with the family. Like, yeah, you can yeah. Make, make the most of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But after a day or two, you're like, okay, that's enough of this shit. Yeah. I mean, The Shining kind of. Oh, yeah. But it's not a, it's not a cabin. It's a gigantic fucking house. But you're right. The Shining, the, the, that's it. Yeah, The Shining's a great example of that. Um, where they're, yeah, the Overlook Hotel. Yeah. And they're snowed in there and, you know, with uh, the wife and child with a husband, father who's losing his mind. I haven't watched The Shining in so many years. I don't even know if I remember it anymore. I, I remember just a, being a good movie. I mean, just a, an amazing performance with like Jack Nicholson. I have to see that again. I know, that would be a great. Here's Johnny. That would yeah. be a great TLA. Like mm-hmm. a classic. Logan, put it on the list. <laughs> that would be so fun. Because, I mean, it truly has been so long that, mm-hmm. other than like the twins at the end of the hallway. Yeah, that iconic. Uh, mm-hmm. Right. And I don't know if that's just like, uh, and then the more I'm thinking about it, I'm like, have I ever seen The Shining? Like, Or just seen so many pop culture references. Right. That yeah. I'm like, oh, I know all the things, but did I ever see it? I, I think yeah. I did. Yeah, I read the book and I saw it, but I'd like to see it again. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a great one. Oh, it's a really scary story. I bet it holds up. I bet it does too. And the book is just—it's such a ah, just inherently creepy tale. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, now these are the dolls. I, I imagine Chris and Lori being yep. trapped in the cabin yep. with. <sighs> and then one more picture of just so many. Like when they talk about the dolls doubling, just like that room full of so many oh, dolls. Oh God! Oh God! Oh God! <laughs> oh my God! Oh my God! All right, so that was kind of a high concept, you know, like crazy dolls, something's going on weird with Chris. But I dig it. Because, yeah. Because there were, I think, especially for us where we live and the sort of the surrounding area, mm-hmm. I could relate to it so deeply because so many people moved here during the pandemic mm-hmm. because Idaho was pretty open. Yeah. And even when it wasn't, there is just so much more space. So yeah. you could come here, you could sell your house somewhere else get a decent chunk of change and come here and buy a house on several acres. You could be home right. comfortably during COVID, uh, you know, during really like the really worst parts of it. And, yeah. you know, still be able to like go outside and take your dog for a walk or play games with your kids without like you didn't have to bundle up, put on meaning like put on the mask, go yeah. to the park, sanitize everything. It was like, no, you were just so there was a lot of that. There mm-hmm. was a lot of that that happened. And so I feel like that story has a lot of believability. Okay. You know, those big yeah. COVID moves. I mean, we've become like a little COVID boom town. And what if there was nothing paranormal? What if um Chris just lost her mind? I, that is totally an option. Like some people don't transition to the middle of nowhere very well. Mm-hmm. And Missoula's so cute. Oh my so god, cute. so good. I love Missoula so much. But it is quite small. Right. And this is outside of it, away. Right. And that's what I was gonna say. Cause like the down the downtown or like the city part of yeah. it is not altogether that big. And you get out into the outskirts quite quickly. True, true. So I mean mm-hmm. you can be in and out of town fast, but you know, fifteen minutes and you're fucking middle of nowhere, no neighbors. Yeah, true. Ooh. Yee. Ichi, wow, what if, what if? <laughs> yeah. So I'm having a girls weekend in Missoula soon. Yeah. What if I accidentally booked that house on the VRBO, on the Verbo? <laughs> sounds, it sounds a little, uh, I don't know that they ever fixed it up. Okay, I good. don't know if you'd be staying in this weird old homestead cabin. <laughs> I know our house has a picket fence. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you ready to leave a creepy cabin full of horrible dolls and head to a jail cell? Jail cell. There we go. Full of demons. Yes, I am, Master Mushmouth. <laughs> I know. You know what? It's, uh. It's like there was like our R. Like there's certain like word combos where I'm mm-hmm. like, even if I'm warmed up, I'm like, dang it. I know. They're just hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. try to avoid those. Uh, I will rearrange people's sentences so that that doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. I can't. Our, our. Like, mm-hmm. like what? And also our. Like what our are our friends yeah, what coming our, over? Our, yeah. What our 
are our friends coming uh, over? <laughs> uh, 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 it's like a linguistic masterpiece there. We head to the Philippines right after a quick sponsor break. Thanks for listening to our sponsors, Creeps and Peepers. Hope you heard something uh, that excited you and sounded like a great deal. No real setup on this next one. We just get right into it. Time now for the tale of the demonic possession of Clarita Villanueva. The case of Clarita Villanueva was the first documented case of possession in the Philippines occurring back in 1953. Clarita, a 17-year-old girl, was allegedly viciously attacked by two terrifying demonic entities in the isolation and solitude of a jail cell. Not only would two shadowy entities supposedly attack this poor girl, but according to the legend, they were also responsible for the deaths of some people surrounding her. Clarita's life before these attacks was not an easy one. She'd grown up poor in the roughly one million person city of uh, Bocolad. Her dad was never in the picture. Her mother scraped together a meager living and fed herself and her daughter by practicing witchcraft and through fortune telling. When Clarita was 12, her mom tragically died, leaving her an orphan. And she never made it to the protection of an orphanage. Mm. She went straight to the streets where she was homeless. Young Clarita traveled to the city of Manila in 1950, almost 450 miles north, finding work there as a maid. A few years later, barely surviving on a tiny income, she thought her prayers for a better life had been answered when she met and fell in love with an older, well-to-do man. She left her job and eloped with him, only to find out shortly after their wedding that he was already married. Oh. And heartbroken, she left him. Still not even 16 years old, she then found work as an exotic dancer. Mm. Then a few years later, at just 17 years old still, uh, or at just 17 years old now, Clarita was found wandering the streets of Manila at 2 a.m. She was now making money as a sex worker. She was taken to the Manila City Jail once the old Bilibid prison first opened in 1865. She was locked up on prostitution charges, placed in an old cell with a few other inmates. And right away, she didn't seem to handle incarceration well. She spent most of her time in a corner, shaking and looking panicky. The other inmates and officers assumed at first she was just terrified. A young woman locked in a scary old jail cell with a lot of other people who were a lot bigger, harder, and scarier than she was. But then once she'd been in jail around a week, they began to think something else was going on. Something other than someone scared to be locked up. She wasn't necessarily acting scared. She was acting strange. And she was starting to scare others. Clarita was claiming to hear voices, to see shadowy monsters. The guards kept trying to reassure her that what uh, you know she was seeing and hearing wasn't anything real. That she was not going to be attacked, as she had now started to fear. They tried to convince her that she was actually in a very safe place. She was locked behind steel bars that no such monsters, even if they did exist, could get past to find and attack her. This did nothing to reassure Clarita. Her monsters would not be stopped by steel or any other earthly substance, she feared. Her fears grew more intense, and then she began to claim that her fears had been realized, that she was being attacked. Clarita suddenly started screaming and crying, her eyes dilating in a terrifying way, begging and pleading with something that couldn't be seen by anyone else to stop hurting her. One night, her screaming and thrashing about grew so intense that some guards entered her cell and gathered around Clarita, trying at first to verbally calm her, and then when that failed, actually holding her down so she didn't hurt herself. They're biting me, she screamed over and over. And then once restrained, when a guard could actually take a moment to look her over, he did notice fresh bite marks all over her neck and shoulders. They were bright red. The guards had never seen any of the other prisoners attack Clarita. She herself never claimed such thing. And there was no way a person could bite themselves in the places she had been bitten. Not knowing what else to do, they moved Clarita to her own cell, thinking maybe that that would help the poor girl. Inside her new cell, Clarita continued to be attacked. New bite marks kept appearing on her. 
She kept screaming out. She was confused and scared. She didn't know what was happening. She claimed that two shadowy beings were attacking her, both humanoid in shape. One was small, nasty gremlin-sized thing with a little boy's face. The other was giant. She described it as being ten foot tall, a dark shadow man with curly hair and what looked like a mustache, an angelic face and evil eyes. The guards didn't want to believe her. This all sounded so crazy, but there were the bite marks. What could explain those? Clarita would describe one of the first times the two creatures attacked her as follows. As she settled down into the cold, hard bed in her cell, she heard a whisper. She couldn't make out what it was saying, but it was definitely a voice, speaking a language she'd never heard. Then, out of the corner of her eye, she saw a shadow. It was a larger creature she saw first. The ten-foot-tall entity was not in solid form, but a spirit-like being, all black, and it was coming for her. As she started to let out a scream, something from the other side of the room now also lunged at her and landed on her chest. The smaller creature, another spirit-like being with a little boy's face. Pain now burned through her. She felt claws slicing through her skin. She screamed again, kept screaming louder and louder until she was in absolute hysterics. When prison guards ran in to check in on Clarita, she continued screaming, shouting that the monsters were still there. She was confused as to why the guards couldn't see anything. After about 30 minutes, the monsters had disappeared and they were able to calm Clarita down enough to talk to them and let them examine her. She had more fresh wounds all over her chest this time. Not all of them looked like bite wounds. Some looked like scratches, like something with claws had torn at her skin. After the guards told their superiors what had happened, word soon spread about this strange prisoner and what was happening to her. And that word eventually reached the mayor's office. The mayor was curious, wanted Clarita brought into his office to talk. He wanted to see this girl for, for himself and ask her some questions. He was curious if anything strange and or terrifying would happen to her in his presence, and it would, immediately. The moment Clarita entered the mayor's office, she began to laugh hysterically, and then she began to cry out in pain, insisting the two monsters were taking turns biting her. The mayor stood up, came around his desk to Clarita, restrained her, uh, tried to calm her down, and then he would later claim to see with his own eyes bite marks appear on her skin as if from nowhere. He touched the affected area, was astonished when he felt the wetness of fresh saliva on her skin. How was any of this possible? He offered Clarita a pencil and paper, insisting he now believed her wild claims and that he didn't think she was crazy. He asked her to draw the monster she saw. Almost as soon as she took hold of the pencil, an invisible force flung it out of her hand and across the room. The mayor now ordered that Clarita be examined immediately by a medical, by a medical professional. That's when things took a, an incredibly dark turn in the story, when people started to die. Dr. Manuel Ramos, on the mayor's orders, visited Clarita, now in her cell. A man of science, he was skeptical of her claims and confronted her, insisting she was acting out for attention and faking it all somehow. In response, Clarita appeared to fall into some sort of trance, fixed her gaze upon him, stared intently into his eyes, and then simply whispered, You will die. 24 hours later, the doctor's heart suddenly inexplicably stopped, and he was indeed dead. The prison chaplain, Father Benito Vargas, now believed that something demonic was at hand. He also curiously made no attempt initially to perform an exorcism. It wasn't something he had any knowledge of, it seems, and he seemed afraid to go near her. He warned others to stay away from her as well. He advised everyone to pray for her as he was doing, pray for the spirits to stop tormenting Clarita and leave the jail. A woman in the cell next to Clarita did not take his advice mocked everything the fellow her fellow prisoners were uh, doing, mocked their praying, mocked any notion that God had anything to do with any of this. And following another attack on Clarita, this other prisoner began to scream. And she kept screaming until she passed out unconscious, teeth marks now scattered across her body. 
She was transferred then to another jail cell. Chief Prison Officer Captain Antonio Ganibi had now had enough. Another skeptic, he visited Clarita, adamant that the girl had somehow murdered the doctor. He thought she was now inducing hysteria in other prisoners as well. He came into Clarita's cell, where she was lying down in a semi-catatonic state, and he ordered her to sit up and answer his questions. When she didn't respond, he kicked at her. She then sat up, stared at him, asked him if he would please return the crucifix she had always worn before being arrested. The officer laughed, insisted he had no idea where it was. Clarita told him it was in his pocket, and he was astonished when he felt around in his pocket and found it indeed was in there. He nervously now handed the crucifix to Clarita uh, with a shaky hand, and as she took it, she allegedly again whispered, You will die. Then, over the next few weeks, this officer became incredibly sick, started to lose dangerous amounts of weight until he perished. The mayor now ordered the local paper to run an article asking for anyone who thought they could help Clarita. And you can find documentation of this. As luck would have it, an American evangelical pastor, Lester Sumrall, heard about the situation. He was certain that Clarita's case was one of intense demonic possession, and he felt like he could help. He flew out to Manila from America in order to conduct an exorcism. When the pastor arrived, he immediately went to sit with the girl in her cell. After seeing firsthand the wounds she was covered in head to toe, and after feeling the terror that emanated constantly now from the poor girl, he wasted no time getting started. After almost a full day of exorcism and hours of arguing with the demons inside Clarita in English, a language Clarita reportedly did not speak, both the pastor and Clarita were exhausted. Pastor Sumrall thought for a moment that he'd been successful, but Clarita told him she could still see the large monster watching her from the corner of her cell. Pastor Sumrall came back the second day with numerous fellow Christians. After they all spent the first half of the day praying, singing hymns, and fasting, Lester Sumrall resumed battle declaring to the demonic forces present, In the name of Jesus Christ, I bind every power of the devil and command you to be free from this moment in Jesus' name. Clarita claimed to now witness the two demons flee. But later that night, they came back. Pastor Sumrall came back for a third day to again challenge the demons. He asked them, Why have you returned? You know you must go and not return. Clarita then said, But she is unclean and we have a right to live with her. And then the pastor said, Mary Magdalene was unclean with seven like you, and Jesus came into her life, and she became clean by his mighty power. Therefore, I demand you now to depart, and Jesus will make her clean. Once again, the demons fled, and again they came back. Now there for the fourth day, the pastor gave Clarita the tools to banish the demons herself. He told her to command them to leave to the blood of Jesus. You must say, go in Jesus' name, and they will obey, he said. That night... The demons returned once more. Clarita gave a blood-curdling scream. Help, they're back to get me. They're standing behind you, she said at a jail guard. He was scared and hid at his desk. Clarita cried to the guard and asked if he remembered what the pastor said she should say. The guard said, say, oh God, deliver me in Jesus' name and Jesus' blood. Then she went into a deep trance state and it was hard to revive her. And now for the craziest part of the story. During the last exorcism ritual, Pastor Sumrall had Clarita strapped to a table, furiously prayed above her, commanding demons to leave her forever in the name of Christ. A doctor who was present for this confirmed uh, her, uh, comforted her as she wailed and screamed as demons supposedly fled her body. Some say 15 different demons, not just two, fled her body in all. When it was done, Clarita was barely conscious and she held something in her hands. The doctor forcibly unclasped her hands as, she, uh, as, uh, as he did. He found that she was gripping tightly to a clump of coarse, curly black hair. Hair she claimed to have ripped from the taller demon who had attacked her the most. And supposedly when the doctor sent this hair off for examination, the hair was found to not be of human origin. And it was not identified as coming from some known animal either. Allegedly to this day, the origin of the hair remains an unsolved mystery. 
As for Clarita, she was released soon after this, uh, got a legal job, later got married, had a few kids, and by all accounts, led a long, happy, demon-free life. What? <laughs> yeah. How do you recover from that? I don't know. I wonder if it's like so intense your body blocks the trauma out. Yeah, it's, uh, it is so interesting to me with these stories where, you know, because I, I always think like it's this mental illness, you know, too, mm-hmm. like a lot of people. But it's interesting when they have something super intense that goes on mm-hmm. for quite a while and then religious authorities like intervene and then they're fine mm-hmm. by all accounts for the rest of their life because that doesn't line up with no. most mental illness. I mean, I, not that I'm completely rule it out. could be like a... You know, like a breakdown a break, of some yeah. kind. But the the physical markings, that's what does me. Because oh, yeah. I started uh-huh. right down like faking it. Like sure. I was thinking that. I'm like, oh, you're just trying to get out of what you did. Sure. And even at that, it's like she was arrested for prostitution work. It's not even like she was a murderer. Like no. what she did, sad. Like her, her life was hard and yeah, sad. Yeah. And then it was made sadder by the fact that she had to sell herself to make right. ends meet. But in my view of the world, she wasn't doing anything really wrong. Yeah, yeah, me, She was me performing either. a service that someone was paying for. Sucks, horrible circumstances, yeah. all of that. But like, worth being arrested over, I don't agree with. Yeah, me and So either. here yeah. she is. She's not a murderer. She's not a violent person. Right. I don't think that she's a threat to society. No. And then and she all- wasn't going to be in jail that long, so there wasn't there wouldn't be reason for her to like try to like I don't know act up to get out of like a sentence a longer sentence or something. Right. That she was never said. I think she would have only acted up to be away from like they said in the beginning. Other scarier, oh. hardened prison mates, which yeah. I totally get. Like, what keeps me from prison is other prisoners. <laughs> right, right. Well, the that, fear that, of that like really keeps me from doing <laughs> anything yeah. questionable. Because I'm like, yeah. I don't think I would survive very well. Oh man, yeah. I would. I actually would be terrible. I would actually. I think I'd be really good at faking it. I would like immediately like go in, just like shave my head, and be like super fucking hard. But that would only work if someone didn't beat the shit out of you in front of the other inmates. I could fight. I'm scrappy. Okay. 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 I would hate it. Anyways. Um, but yeah, so I mean, there are all these things yeah. to say that like, she wasn't a horrible person. She wasn't a violent person. She didn't really need to be in prison for any extended period of time. So why would she go through all of this yeah. to try and get out? But all of that aside, the physical markings alone that are like popping up, mm-hmm. that like, you know, you can only reach so many parts of your body with your <laughs> mouth. So if she's got a bite yeah. mark on her back. And she's in a jail cell I by know. herself. That is such a specific thing. It's not a scratch because, of course, you could yeah. reach around and scratch yourself. Bite marks and the wet saliva. That detail was meh. I know it's weird. I mean, and like the, the hardcore skeptic in me can always be like, well, maybe all of the sources, you know, maybe that's just like one person making the claims for all these other people. Yeah. But some of these, like, you know, there there are like it was in the papers. Yeah. And there and there were multiple like witnesses interviewed, and it's like, well, why would they all? Say they saw something so specific as as like a bite mark. Why would you? I guess what what? How would it benefit them to claim? I mean, I guess they get their name in the paper. Well, okay, yes, but then also, I guess there's the theory that like no one wants to be the person. Oh, that is like uh, no, it didn't happen because then everybody else is like you know it's like that collective memory. Mm -hmm. So it's like that group hysteria. Yeah, or uh, yeah. the better term. Uh huh. When people are like, "Oh my god, yeah, I saw it too. I saw it too," and it, it, there is that peer pressure. Yeah. Because then you can look like the asshole if you're like, "No, you didn't. I was there, and I didn't see shit." Right. <laughs> All, you got 
Yeah, because then you're making a fool out of everyone who came before you mm-hmm. and just calling them publicly a liar. Right. It's kind of like leaving a cult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like if you're the first one to go, everyone else is going to turn against you and make right. you look like a fool, make you look like an idiot. Like, oh, yeah. that person's unstable. That person can't be believed because these six people over here saw it. So mm-hmm. how could that one person, they're just lying. They're trying to get their moment of fame. We're just yeah. trying to, you know, corroborate a story right. for this poor girl. I don't know, but I don't. It feels very valid. Yeah, yeah, it does. It, it does to me too. There, I have a few pictures here. Okay. This first one's Clarita around the time of her possession. Oh, yeah, just so young. So young. Uh, this is, this next picture is a, a picture of her like during the exorcism uh, proceedings. Ah, I mean, for all those people to come around and like, I don't know. Right. Looks like she's foaming at the mouth. Oh yeah, and then and then this is uh one more, just another picture of her being exercised. It's a different uh, thing mm-hmm. by that pastor uh, Lester Sumrall. Yeah. Oh yeah, I had a question about that about exorcisms. Yeah. Can anybody perform an exorcism? Are there rules about it? You know, I mean, there. I mean, do you even know? Yes, I know a little. I don't know what the rules are, but I have like looked into it. I mean, there there is an official. There's like a exorci- exorcism rites within like the say the Catholic Church. But then, but then when you, whenever you get into that, there'll be other like denominations who are like, well, you don't get to decide what the rules are for us. Okay. Because we're not under like the Pope and the, you know, the papal hierarchy. Right. So like, well, we have our exorcism and this is our proceedings and they're different than yours. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different ways to do it. I mean, I mean. But could like, could you and I just decide to do it? Well, I mean, some, a lot of people would say no. A Catholic priest would say no. Sure. You know, uh, uh, a Pentecostal, you know, a minister would say no. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, that's not necessarily. He would say yes, or she, well, most he's going to be he there. Mm-hmm. But he would say yes, as far as like you can, if you believe these certain things. But if you don't right. believe our certain doctrines, then he would also say, no, you don't have the authority. Okay, okay. So it's, so it's that tricky thing as you know, it's. Uh, but theoretically, theoretically. Theoretically, yes. Anybody can perform an exorcism. Theoretically, even though a lot of religious people would say no. There's other people who would say yes. Because, like, I think about this. Uh, I was just having this, like, thought in my brain. I am not religious. Right. I I don't really think there's anything out there. You believe more than I believe, which is interesting. Like, I was the one that was raised Catholic, and I used to be much more, like, like, uh, agnostic, agnostic and now I like start to lean much more atheist hmm, which whatever yeah. I'm sure like at the end of my life yeah. when I'm dying I'll swing back the other way yeah yeah I believe yeah exactly right. I believe in God I just don't believe that we have properly defined God in any religion necessarily yeah I don't believe any of that okay. I think it's all science okay. but also I am in my mid-30s and I'm healthy and I think that like <laughs> circumstance yeah. has a lot to do with what we believe sure, right because sure. it's very easy right now when I'm not afraid of death I'm like yeah bring it on I don't, I'm not afraid of death Ask me when I'm 95 and I'm dying. Like, do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So all that aside, but I was thinking like, okay, if our kid was possessed, like mm-hmm. I would be happy to stand over my kid and scream like, you know, leave in the name of Jesus Christ. And I would div- like, you're so desperate. But, but Hold people, on. Okay. You're so desperate that you're like, I will believe in Jesus. I will commit my life to him. Like that's how hmm. pe- a lot of okay. people find religion, sure. right? Because they're so desperate for answers in a difficult situation. They turn to religion. They turn to a God for an answer. So it's yeah. like, I guess theoretically, I could perform an exorcism then. If I, if I truly... If you truly believed, is Is what they say. But like, is that true? They would say yes. They, they would say, but but I'm saying, is it actually? Uh, nobody knows. I know. Yeah. It's all up for debate. And I just find it kind of fascinating. It's like, mm-hmm. huh, I could suddenly commit my life to Jesus and exercise people. And then like a few years later, be like, eh, just kidding. I don't think it works that way. But yeah, but, but who knows? Maybe. But, who, but you don't know. Right. Because I... 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I guess I actually, but yeah, but in that sense, it, it just sounds funny. Like, like, like if you're dealing with, if you're dealing with like the spirit world, and there are these powers, and the reason it works is because you know some higher power, whether you call that higher power Jesus or not, is real. I would think that higher power would be smart enough to know that you're bullshitting them. I guess that, you, that you're just like saying the things. But like for oh. me, who doesn't believe in a higher power? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Am I really tricking somebody, or is it just words? Do the words carry enough weight to exercise um, the person? I would say no, but who knows? But but again, like you said, it's all up for debate. Right. I don't, I don't know. When I just think that when it's someone you love, like you'll do anything, you'll try anything. Sure, sure. Anyways, are we ready? Let's 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 roll. Okay, let's do some stuff. Okay, this story I said this yeah. before, but it's not the scariest of stories. It right, definitely the ending is like, oh, okay. I just found it so fascinating. It has and you said like kind of like believable, right? Like, like I think right it's believable. where it's that thing where it just opens up the it makes all the stories more believable. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I, I also, like those stories. I love the location of this. Uh we are going to the nineteen oh four World's Fair. Is that Chicago? No. St. Louis. St. Louis. St. Louis. That's right. Okay. 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 Do you know any things like any inventions that came from world fairs that we're still using today that were sort of like, because that was the, the point of the world fair was like, oh, they debut in electricity at St. Louis world fair. Ooh, possibly. The thing that I focused on was yeah. peanut butter. That's where we got peanut oh, butter. Funny. Peanut butter came out of the St. Louis. I mean, yes. That's where they debuted it. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, peanuts existed. Uh, like, per, I think they came from Peru oh or Brazil, but yeah. That is, it is funny to think about things like that where, yeah, like I love peanut butter so much. Well, I love so smoothies, much. and it's like a smoothie isn't a, smooth, a good smoothie unless there's peanut butter in it for Agreed. the most part. And then it's like peanut butter on toast, and then peanut butter sauce for like Thai food. Such a, uh, there's so many great like peanut butter M and M's, and it is funny to think like yeah, before 1904, no peanut butter, right? And I just think about like the World Fair in general. I don't think we really have an equivalent anymore because when we have like expositions, mm-hmm. they're um, targeted usually towards like one specific audience so there's oh, like more one niche to like, now right so it's like there's like a dental convention there's a makeup convention <laughs> but unless you're licensed you can't get in it's generally uh, yeah. not open to the public and it's it just kind of often feels like there's not a space for everyone to come together and be like oh my god look at this cool thing yeah there's tech but i think even the tech is divided up a little bit where it's like cool new cars where, mm-hmm. where tesla might you know like debut some prototype yeah but it, but i don't think it would be like cars and robots right and cool new ai systems right well which, and even that's so the like convention i want to go to william shatner just went into space but like we weren't invited to that it's not open to the public yeah so excuse me i really i just like love the idea of the world's fair yeah mm-hmm. all right well that's where we're going let's check it out cool hello Lindsay, dan and the whole scared to death fam i finally decided to stop arguing with myself over whether or not to send in my story and just go for it It's going to be a tad lengthy because there is a significant backstory that I'm going to share with you. Not necessarily because it's pertinent to this story, but for a reason I'll share at the end, which I think it is pertinent. Okay. April 30th, 1904, the World's Fair opened in St. Louis, Missouri. There were many amazing things that would be seen for the very first time by the patrons from peanut butter (laughs) to new uses of electricity to a model playground. It's crazy to think that playgrounds of some kind hadn't always been a thing, but there was a time when children and their development just weren't a priority. (laughs) The woman that was charged with designing and unveiling the model playground at the fair was named Ruth Ashley Hirschfield. Ruth was kind of awesome. She received global awards for her work at the expo, but more notably, she was the first female to be accepted to the New York State Bar. She was well-traveled, highly educated, and devoted her life to child welfare. 
So Ruth designed a system for the expo where parents could drop off their children at the nursery, a bracelet would be placed on the child's wrist with a number that matched to the ticket that the parent would be given. So it's like a the first time we're seeing daycare, basically. Mm-hmm. Once the parents <laughs> were ready to leave the fair, they would, they would retrieve their little one by matching their ticket to the child's bracelet number. On October 6th, 1904, at approximately 1 p.m., a woman calling herself Miss Tyre brought a little blonde-haired boy into the nursery. She got her ticket and left, presumably to enjoy the fair. However, that evening, when the nursery was set to close, that blonde-haired little baby boy still lay in the bassinet. Ruth, being the head of the the nursery, immediately called for police, who went looking for Miss Tyre at the address she'd given, but was told that no one by that name had ever resided there. This baby was the only child to ever spend a night at the nursery. Two days later, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch ran an article about the baby and his odd predicament. At the time at the time that the article was published, Ruth had already made it known that she would adopt the baby boy that had become known as baby number 13, as 13 was the number on his bracelet. And so with this mysterious beginning, my great-grandfather huh? was named Robert Ashley Hirschfield. He would go on to do so many awesome things in life. Ruth would unfortunately pass from a brain tumor just a decade later, making Robert an orphan once again. But oddly enough, he would be sponsored by John Pierpont Morgan and sent to prestigious schools. Is this because J.P. Morgan knew Ruth or because he was related to the baby? My family Mm -hmm. has spent years trying to solve that mystery and has gotten nowhere. Fast forward 80 years or so, my mom and grandparents and I are at my grandparents' house in Ava, Missouri. We lived and still live around Beaumont, Texas, so we traveled quite a ways to see them. I was about five years old. While everyone was in the main house talking adult stuff, uh, I went to see my great-grandpa in the next room. He caught my eye and motioned for me to follow him. So I did. Why wouldn't I? I followed him out of the house, through the expansive yard, and into his workshop. His workshop was basically a massive garage. The walls were lined with shelves full of glass jars that hold nuts and bolts and screws and other old man treasures. He led me to a workbench where he sat down on a stool. I stood next to him. At this point, neither of us had spoken. We had just exchanged smiles and winks. I had the feeling that he liked the quiet. He showed me a walking stick that he had carved. I don't know if my description can do it justice, but it was a plain stick, just a bit longer than a broomstick, but twice as thick. About a third of the way down the stick from the top was carved a bear cub that's balancing on a ball. As if that weren't impressive enough, the bear and ball are inside a cage, like you might see at a circus. (laughs) I recall being in complete awe of how he'd been able to carve something so intricate. As I stood there with him, not saying anything, I looked over the other things he'd carved and came came across an elephant that I immediately took a liking to. He told me to keep it and shoot me back up to the main house. We all left soon after this and would end up being, and this would end up being the one and only encounter I would have with my great grandfather. Fast forward another 20 years. I'm sitting at our kitchen table with my mom and my aunt, and as it usually does, the conversation turned to the good old days. (laughs) Talks of how they had it growing up, things that they should or should not have done. I've always enjoyed being a part of these conversations, and I was finally getting to an age where I had something of value to contribute. This night, the conversation turned to my great-grandfather and his mysterious origins. I made a comment about how amazing his carvings were, and my mom said something to the effect of, yeah, I wish you could have met him. 
To which I replied, <laughs> what do you mean? I did meet him. Remember when we took that trip? She says, of course I remember. We took that trip to set up an estate sale after your great-grandmother passed away. I said, yeah, okay, but that's when I met him. And she says, well, that's impossible, as he died some eight years before that, before I had ever even been born. I sat there completely speechless, questioning my memory of meeting him. Then I went into my room, into my jewelry box, and pulled out that little wooden elephant. I walked back into the kitchen and put it on the table. I didn't say anything. I just set it down and looked at them as if it had all the answers. My mom and aunt both looked at it and then at me. And finally, I said, he gave me this. I'm not crazy. It wasn't a dream. He gave me this and he showed me a walking stick he'd carved with a bear on a ball in a cage. At this point now, I'm getting upset. My mom tells me that he had died in that workshop while working on that very walking stick. When he died, my great-grandma never went back into the workshop, and it basically sat untouched until the estate sale. This might seem like a shitty ending, but I don't have any answers. Hopefully, if you choose to read this, you can rewrite it to make more sense. (laughs) But I think it makes perfect sense. I don't feel like I can ever tell a story about my great-grandfather without talking about his beginnings. It's a unique mystery. He went on to do some amazing things, not the least of which is meeting his great-granddaughter from Beyond the Veil. Thank you for reading, Michelle. <laughs> Thanks, Michelle. Is that a fascinating story? That's awesome. I love that story. Man, wow. I mean, yeah, yeah. That, that's. I mean, if, yeah, that's just so crazy. Like, ah. Uh, <sighs> and, and again, like the skeptic part of me wants to be like, oh, that was just like a really cool dream you had as a kid. But then the dream wouldn't explain you getting the thing, a tangible right. item. Yeah, a tangible that you still have all these years later. Right. Right. And I suppose, I suppose, okay, if we want to poke holes in it, yeah. I suppose Michelle could have found her way out into her grandfather's shop, you know, this, um, you know, his woodworking and just taken the, the item and brought it home with her. But at five. Yeah. And then to build that elaborate of a fantasy around that mm-hmm. um, seems unlikely. Yeah, that's that's a really cool story. I know, that, I really dig uh, it. Yeah, I, li- I like that it's um sweet, just like this uh, great grandpa showing up, uh-huh. possibly like the spirit to uh, spend spend a, a moment with his great granddaughter that he mm-hmm. never actually got to meet in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how weird. Yeah, stuff like that. That doesn't feel like an echo. A lot of times when like relatives show up mm-hmm. in ghost stories, mm-hmm. it feels to me like uh, some. Yeah, like a, like a, like an echo of something rather than a ghost necessarily. Yeah. It's like some moment put on loop. Okay. And then uh, it, it can seem sometimes. Okay. But then this does not seem like that at all. Not this se- in the this least. seems like a sentient moment where mm-hmm. this entity is thinking, it's it's interacting with a, a real person mm-hmm. in a unique way. Right. Which then just does make me wonder like afterlife stuff like what's going on out there yeah i thought it was just so like okay first of all the great grandfather's beginnings are so fascinating Mm -hmm. to me i mean that's truly what drew me in i'm like what like so this person this miss tire who no one ever has heard of no one's ever seen again just leaves this baby and i don't know if that was a common thing in those times to just like abandon babies i wouldn't say common but i would say it happened uh Probably more than it does now. It's like the thing of like uh, leaving the baby at the doorstep of the fire department. Okay, okay. Where it's not like there were security cameras. There right. Was, oh, of the, course. The internet, you couldn't track people down. And right. when people had kids and there, I don't think adoption agencies were as advanced. Mm-hmm. And if you. No, did, I think there was just orphanages. There was orphanages. And sometimes there wasn't even an orphanage near you. And, you know, like if you're panicking, there's something going on. You just, for whatever reason, mental health struggles. Yeah. You don't feel like you can care for this child. 
that would happen where they would just like go drop a kid off somewhere. Crazy. Because at like 18 months too, we're not talking about a baby. Ba- I mean, mm-hmm. yes, a baby, but not a newborn baby, not truly an infant. Mm-hmm. So he gets dropped off. Ruth adopts him. Then she dies. Then fucking JP Morgan adopts him. I know. Like, that's what amazing. a crazy trajectory. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I don't know, like that alone was just kind of fascinating. And, and like Michelle says, a very yeah. interesting mystery, a yeah. family mystery, which what a great story. So, and then and then just that, like leading into the whole thing. I don't know. I just loved the the whole setup, the whole yeah. story. It gave me some sort of peace of like, okay, you know, like maybe my grandparents are hanging around. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they won't show themselves to me, but maybe they'll show themselves to some, me in the future, to mm-hmm. my children, to my great grandchildren. Like, I don't know. Maybe I get to come back. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you think about stuff like that where... You're talking about, you know, feeling more atheist, but then there's these spirits that clearly seem to interact with our world from people who are gone. Mm -hmm. Where do those things come from? Well, why does that have to have anything to do with God? Like When I say God, I just mean like a creative power. If it's just science, if it's Mm -hmm. just like Big Bang and different things like that, do you think science could explain spirits? Potentially. I guess in in the future. Because, I mean— there is so much that we just don't know about the world in general. I mean, when you yeah. think about the discoveries that we're making in space on a daily basis or the mm-hmm. advancements of medicine on a daily basis, like things that we don't know today that we find out tomorrow that are like, holy shit, this just changed everything. Like, why mm. can't why can't it be that way about the other side? I don't know. I just, uh, I don't know. To, to me, it seems like there has to be something more Why? Than, than science can explain. Because I don't, I don't feel like like uh, science gives enough answers for for like the overall mystery of life in the universe. Mm. Like there's something ab- above us, above. I I think it's because science is also under our wing as humans. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. We don't know what the fuck's going on. So yeah. I think that's how we're supposed to prove. It. We don't even know what's happening. So I don't know how science is going to do it. Because yeah, we yeah. created it. We're only right. doing what we have. Yeah. It, 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 maybe maybe it's just comforting to think kind of like what Joe's saying. Say that. Yeah. Joe said that there is something out there smarter than humans could possibly be mm-hmm. that set things in motion or oversee things to some effect or I don't know. Well, maybe they don't, don't want us to figure out what's going on the other side. Then, like, yeah. We could just be puppets. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, you know, if you want to like explore like different realms, it's like we don't even know. We, we could all just be in a simulation. But then, but then who made the simulation? I don't know, but not necessarily. It doesn't have to be God. It can be some other entity. It could be some other thing that can be explained by science. Maybe just, God, we just don't know. Maybe God can be explained by science. Maybe. I, yeah. I would totally take yeah. that. Like if there was some explanation where it was like, okay, we can trace this back to this, to this like kind of like chasing, but tracing back your roots to something. Yeah. If, and if it goes all the way back, way, 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 way back, and they're like, well, there was this guy, and we know how he got here because it happened because A plus B equaled God. Okay. Mm-hmm. But we just don't have that. And or, I, I or, like more facts. Or lady. La- lady, dude, uh, <laughs> transgender, yeah. n- no gender. Everything. All the stuff. Probably, all the stuff. actually. Or, in, and no, all this, no, or none of the stuff. Right. Different stuff. All the things and none of the things all yep. at once. Yeah. Just, it just is. Yep. Okay. You ready to move on? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, this this is a little bit scarier, but also just like a very, huh, kind of okay. story. Not not super scary, but a little scary. All right. Okay. Um, but this is another thing with like thinking about your possession where there yeah. is some physical potential, some physical proof that you're like, okay, but how? Yeah. Why? At least in my opinion. 
E. Oh. oh, that was your uh, oh. your notebook. No, that was my cross. Jesus, it's your notebook eye. knocked it off. Did it? Hmm? Your notebook. I saw it. the notebook hit the rock, and then the rock hit the cross, and the cross fell down. Uh, okay. <laughs> Dear Dan and Lindsay, I hope this email and story find you both doing well. I'm an absolute creeper, a total dummy, and a bit of a space lizard. Hail Nimrod. Ah, uh, thank you. Come hither, Lucifina, and <laughs> all praise to Triple M. <laughs> I hail originally from southeastern Wisconsin, where things are pretty rural and Midwestern pastoral beauty is on full display. The land is mostly flat, with some low, rolling hills outlined with maple, oak, and birch trees that explode with brilliant emerald greenery every spring and erupt into a blaze of yellow, red, and orange every fall. And everywhere, you can find little farms and homesteads tucked behind, sight buried deep within the trees. But I'm not writing to tell you about the landscape. I think what I'm writing here is in part a confession. Leading up to my graduation in high school, my best friend and I tore the roads up around southeastern Wisconsin. There wasn't really much to do in our neighborhood, and the best thing we could think to do was steal a couple of my dad's beers, some of his brother's cigarettes, and we'd hit the road looking for the longest, emptiest stretch we could find. We blasted the stereo, talked endlessly, and made sure to look as innocent as we could any time we saw the police. I'm not going to say I'm defending what we did. We were stupid teens. Testosterone was running high, and we believed we were immortal. We were stupid and stupid lucky. I think our luck may have run out when we started exploring around Elkhorn in Walworth County. On any other normal day, the area is pretty boring. More farmland, a few small towns here and there, and more trees. We were just driving, smoking, and talking the night down, and talking the night down when my buddy needed to stop. I want to wait until we find a quick trip, I said, <laughs> jabbing his ribs and laughing at his problems. Nah, he said. Nobody else is on the road. I'll just use a tree. I figured, whatever, pulled over, lit a smoke, and let him go water the corn. I wasn't sure, but at first, I thought I was seeing doubles, with the moon between the beer and the smoke and the late hour. Somewhere off in the distance, I saw two silver discs in the darkness, like silver dollars. I rubbed my eyes and blinked and the silver dollars were gone, and the moon was all by herself in the warm May night. That was when I heard my buddy screaming, and a deep, horrifying growl that didn't come from the throat of any animal I could identify. I looked out the passenger window, through the smoke in the car, and my buddy was down on the ground, screaming, while the biggest, hairiest dog I had ever seen had its jaws deep into his calf, soaking, jeans, soaking his jeans with blood. Help me, what? he yelled, eyes open in a panic, his free leg kicking at the dog's face and getting nowhere. I could see the dog's eyes, and they were pure murder. It was clearly nobody's pet, but Walworth County is not known for its wolf population. There may be a few coyotes keeping the deer, raccoons, and bar ca barn cats in check, but believe me when I say this was the biggest dog I had ever seen. Help me, goddammit! He screamed again, snapping out of my stupor. I admit, under normal circumstances, I'm I'm a pretty big coward, and maybe that's my current age talking, but my adrenaline was peaking that night. I had a tire iron in the back seat, and I was out there like a shot. The first blow didn't do much of anything, and the doll dog growled at me. But another strike, and my buddy was up and dragging himself into my car, bleeding all over my seat. The dog ran away, but only a few yards. Its silver eyes glared at us in my headlights, challenging us. Just drive, man, my buddy screamed at me, and he didn't have to tell me twice. The dog didn't budge, though. It reared up on its hind legs now, standing as tall as a man, howling loud enough to drown the Metallica out of my radio. I didn't care. The dog, hairy man, whatever it was, that thing wasn't moving, and I wasn't sticking around. 
I slammed the gas and I drove that dog thing down without a second thought, both our heads slamming into the roof of my car as we drove over it. And I could distinctly hear its sad, pathetic, pained yelp, but I didn't care. For the briefest of moments, I could have sworn there was a prone, bloody man laying in the middle of the road, but it was gone before I could get heads or tails of the situation. My friend was bleeding pretty bad, but I knew where we could get him in urgent care before driving home. We saw the lights of town coming up, and we dumped all the incriminating evidence before we had to answer any more uncomfortable questions. I hadn't heard much from my friend since I haven't heard much from my friend since that night. I went off to college and didn't hear from him after that. My mom said his family moved out a few months after all of that, and in fact, their house still has a realtor sign half buried in knee-high grass. I've gone back to those farm roads in Walworth County from time to time after I graduated from college, but for the life of me, I cannot remember which stretch of road we had been on that night. All I know is when I drive up and down Bray Road in Walworth County, between the farms and small houses beyond any stretch of road that should present any kind of road hazard, there is a tiny shrine dedicated to a lost jogger and his dog. Again, I can't be sure if this is just a confession or just another story to be found floating around the internet. Sometimes the memory feels as real as the keyboard on this laptop, but then memories are just as mutable as options, as opinions. Oh, are just as, oh yeah, mutable as opinions. Thank you for taking your time to read this and please stay creepy. Listening to your podcast every week makes my otherwise boring warehouse job a little lighter. All my best, Adam. Thank you, Adam. I was trying to say mutatable, but I was Yo, like, no, I think yeah, it yeah, is yeah. mutable. It's mutable, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he said he said Wisconsin and yeah. he said Bray Road, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't have my phone in front of me, but actually maybe Joe, if you could look at this really quick. If you just Google Beast of Bray Road, B-R-A-Y, I believe there is some lore about a wolf-like entity that has attacked numerous people supposedly over the years. One, yeah, 100%. Oh, have the we covered that? Beast of Bray Road. The be- we have not covered the Beast ah, of Bray Road. I don't Maybe we think. should. Also goes by Bray Road Beast. Okay. So it's mixing great. up the words a little bit. <laughs> just really getting a little uh, differentiation in there. Interesting. Yeah, I, I this like another, this. Another uh, attack. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, the attack sounds terrible, but I, I, I like that Adam is so honest, and he's like, I don't know. Like, we were drinking, we were smoking, it was late. Like, did I see what I think I saw? Instead of being so adamant that, like, yep, definitely saw it. It's for sure that because I think I would approach it in the same way. Like, I don't know. And then he's like, confession. Like, oh my god, did I run over a man? Did I run over a dog? Yeah. Like, I just wanted to get out of there. Yeah. I don't know. It is this kind of bizarre and a weird mm-hmm. possible sort of confirmation. Yeah. God, I'm trying to think. Oh, I think I mentioned it on Time Suck once. Maybe. That's where I'm like stuck in my head. Mm-hmm. I did one episode. I can't even remember what it's called now, but it was about it was about werewolves. Mm-hmm. I did something about werewolves and then just like sightings of like beast-like creatures around the world. And I'm 99%. It definitely came up in the research and I think it came out in the episode. Sorry. But that's where I'm like, man, why does this sound so familiar? This is my favorite thing about you. This is like you, like once the thought's there, it's like you just, that's it. You're there. <laughs> and you have to let it, you have to follow it, get to the end of it, say it out loud, and then we can move on. <laughs> <laughs> and I can see it happening in your yeah, eyes. Yeah. Well, there was also that story that we did, I want to say in Michigan. Some sort of like haunted road, something, something. Yeah, there was a, a road uh, in Michigan, and I, it, it's called, um, it's, it's not Hell Road. 
Dice. Dice, Dice Road. Road. That's Dice it. Dice Road. And there was three different haunted places about. Right, like um, houses. One and then one mile down, another yes. one and then one mile down, another one. Yeah, so that also made I me. think the distance. I know the rest, yeah. Yeah, that I also kind of thought of that in this. I was like, oh, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, out in the middle of nowhere. And accidents do happen on dark roads. And I don't know, like, what if, what if the Beast of Bray Road is this jogger's dog that went missing and huh. now it's like come back. I don't know, either uh, either as like a, a hybrid dog ghost, hellhound. <laughs> totally. Like a hybrid like man dog thing. <laughs> or it's just like the dog of the runner, like essentially avenging his death, the the runner's death. Mm. Or maybe the the runner's dog has just got eaten by this creature. Oh. One, one of this creature's many victims. Uh, that could also be a thing. Yeah. All right. All right. You want one more? I do. Okay, so I think that this just like adds to the overall credibility of like, okay. Okay, I think I think there's someone on the other side. Okay. Which I like this little sandwich that we have yeah. this week. Okay. What's up, Dan and Lindsay? I've been listening to your podcast for a while now and decided it's time to share my story. Uh, it has a little bit of buildup and backstory. Sorry about that, but I just want to jump right in anyways. In 2005, my grandpa passed away from natural causes, natural causes whilst I was born and four at the time, I never met him, and he wasn't around much, and his name was John. I am the youngest of five children and have always been on the quiet side. My older brother by three years always had an imaginary friend, as my mom called it, and his name was Jack. Jack was always watching out for my brother and my family in a, in a way. Many times, my mom was almost in a car crash with my brother in the car, But every time the car would magically swerve at the last minute and miss them. And every time my brother would say, Jack did it. Him being so young at the time, no one thought anything about it until one of my family friends brought up the fact that our grandpa, John, (laughs) always went by the nickname Jack. My family is very spiritual and wasn't scared or even wigged out by the fact that their dad was watching out for them. When my brother was about 10 or 11, the visits from Jack sadly faded out and no word of him was really spoken much from then on fast forward to the start of 2021 i'm now 20 and just started a new job cleaning while cleaning a particularly creepy home me and my work partner just kept getting creepy ass vibes from this house could it have been us freaking out but maybe definitely maybe but definitely not as while i was cleaning the kitchen i looked out the window that led to the backyard and realized there was a bungalow outside essentially a tiny house on the property i found myself staring at it for about five minutes feeling like i couldn't look away i felt like there was something back there looking back at me the house had two big dogs in the backyard who were just staring at the bungalow and barking at it I called my work partner into the kitchen, and she agreed that we needed to leave as soon as we could. I felt cold and anxious, though I didn't want to look away as though I felt if I did, something else would appear. We got out of the house after finishing everything and headed back to the car parked across the street. While facing the car, I felt an urge to look back at the house, knowing full well I'm absolutely terrified to do so. I looked back and the blinds in the living room that look out towards our car are now open. Both me and my work partner freak out because we definitely did not leave them open while we were in there. We jumped in our car, sped down the road, freaking out. All of this is fine. We forget about the encounter for a while until I start having some spooky stuff happening around my house. Things being moved out of place, lights being turned on while I'm home alone, the coffee machine being turned off midway, I start getting a little paranoid, and I start experiencing what I believe to be sleep paralysis. 
I wake up in the middle of the night, usually around 3 a.m., to a shadowy figure at the foot of my bed. Unable to move, I just stare at this figure, panicking. But with the blink of an eye, the figure is gone, and I'm jolted awake. I wake my boyfriend, who's asleep next to me, and tell him what's going on, and he says it's just a dream. Go back to sleep. This happened multiple times over the course of three months until something even more strange started happening. More things begin being moved around. I hear my name being called out when no one else is home, and I walk towards this noise in my house thinking either my boyfriend or housemate has come home, but then no one is anywhere. Scared shitless, but staying calm, I forget about it, being a total Darren and a true creeper. Waking up a waking up experiencing what I believe to be another sleep paralysis episode, I wake up to a man's face inches away from mine, just staring at me. Jesus. I can't move, but I weirdly don't feel scared. I've seen this man before, but I cannot pinpoint where. This happens about four or five more times until the final time I decide to try and ask questions. Finding I can whisper, I softly say, are you here to hurt me? The figure shakes his head at me and I ask again, is something trying to hurt me? It nods. I'm panicking in tears, finally realizing who I'm looking at. My grandpa. I finally ask, are you John? He nods and disappears into a smoky cloud type thing. I lay in bed for a while, crying and just being shooken up. So many questions about what exactly was trying to hurt me. Who was trying to hurt me? Did something follow me home from that house I cleaned? Why was it my turn to be protected by John? I finally fall back asleep and in the morning pass it off as some whack-ass dream. It's Sunday now and I'm cleaning my house. I'm in my bedroom folding clothes when I hear a loud smash. No big deal. I did just wash heaps of dishes and a glass probably fell into the sink and smashed. I walk to the other end of the house to investigate the broken glass, except there is no glass anywhere to be found. I look to my left and realize my window is smashed. Scared shitless, I run outside and look to see what smashed it and realize nothing did. It simply shattered. I have a look around the outside of my house, seeing if anyone is around, but there isn't. I go back into my bedroom to now find a horrific smell of smoke. The space heater I had had on low was smoking. I quickly unplug it and take it outside. I stand outside for a moment, feeling super confused about what had just happened. Why did the window smash? Why did the heater start smoking? Was my grandpa trying to protect me from whatever made the heater smoke? A few more weeks pass without anything happening, so naturally I forget about it. Until a month ago. On Thursday, the 17th of June, I woke up to my grandpa looking at me. He had a look of dread on his face, and for the first time, he spoke. He said it was time, and it will all be okay. He reached out, touched my head, and I instantly passed out. I woke up several hours later, feeling completely confused, but brushed it off. I got up and got ready for work and carried on with my day as usual. At about 9 a.m., while I'm in the first house I'm cleaning, I got a call from my dad telling me that my Nana has passed away. I instantly broke down, heartbroken and sobbing, but remembered what my grandpa had said to me, that it was time and that it was going to be okay. Uh, My dad's mom lives in the UK while we live in Australia, and they're about nine hours behind us. Hmm. She passed away on Thursday their time, but Friday for Australia. My mom's dad never met my dad's mom, and it made me really question how he knew where exactly are they. I haven't had another encounter as of yet, but I know they I have them watching out for me and keeping whatever I brought home from that creepy house away from me and keeping me safe. Stay creepy and keep those crystals close. Your mate down under. And yes, we are real. <laughs> uh, 
yeah, just another good story. And uh, in the beginning of that one, mm-hmm. when they talked about like with a worker going into a house and then like like when they were leaving, that like the blinds being open, but the blinds yeah. weren't open when they were in the house. That just made me think of like, man, I've never seen that in like a horror movie or just or just in regular life. Forget about movies. Well, I hope you don't see it in regular life. But, but I mean, but how crazy would that be if like for your job, you have to go into somebody's houses, you have to do like ADT security or something like that. Right. And, and um, but I'm trying to think of like one, maybe even like a re- realtor where you're going into a house where there's no one else there. Right. I right. guess realtor would be better. Yeah. yeah like realtor. that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Realtor. Yeah. Um, I, I thought I said it wrong earlier. And then I'm like, am I supposed to add an A? But it's just realtor. Right? It's realtor. Oh, so I did say it right. It's earlier. not okay. realtor because it's yeah. real. R-E-A-L-T-O-R. Okay. okay. Realtor. realtor. Okay. But like, well, for, I mean, you did that. Like, how much would that freak you out? Of oh my god, you're given a tour of a house. There's definitely nobody home. You, definitely. You, when you walk up, you just have a, a memory of like, okay, blinds are closed. Da da da. This, mm-hmm. and then when you drive away, you look back in your mirror, and the blinds open. Oh my god! And it's a funny <laughs> thing too because when you're doing Yee. like when you're doing an open house, you're actually like walking around, like making sure everything's picture perfect, mm-hmm. and you generally want to open the blinds so the sunlight is coming in. So I just can't imagine like leaving and all the blinds being closed because you leave like a checklist for the homeowner. Mm-hmm. Or like, hey, make sure like the toilet lids are, you know, put down and like all these things and light a candle so it smells good. So if any of those elements on like a checklist that you left them was different than how you saw it or how you left it, that would be so terrifying. Yeah. Because then you're leaving thinking like, oh my God, was it in there the whole time I was in there? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I haven't had one of those those stories come in. I'm surprised, a haunted actually. Realtor? Well, a, ha- a haunted house that a realtor goes yeah. to? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they exist. Mm-hmm. I am sure of it. I'll try and find some. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're trying to sell a house that somebody died in. Right. You know, I mean, that. And people die in houses all the time. But, um, yeah, I, I just thought this was kind of, like, interesting. You know, uh, it doesn't sound like... I mean, it sounds like possibly there's mm-hmm. two separate things going on, right? Like, Grandpa... John slash Jack, mm-hmm. sort of like looking out for the family, protecting the family. This the this person doesn't seem to see it until later in life. Yeah. Whereas like the little brother saw it younger in yeah. life, you know, and uh, and then it seems to come with a message, mm-hmm. you know, at the but, end there. But is that does that have anything to do with what happened at the house they were cleaning? I don't know. Yeah, and it also sounds like Jack could uh, find a less terrifying way to make his appearance known. I mean, maybe not like right in your face. Could you imagine? <laughs> It's like you just like wake up and pop awards like right in oh your face. Oh my god, right there, just ah. like so close. It's like maybe not do that. Right. Also, maybe but also don't not too far away. That's oh. creepy too. Don't mm. show up like in the, uh, hidden in the corner. Oh yeah, like no a hiding. Shadow. No hiding. No, kind of like be mid mid room. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And if you could also not come at three a.m. and stand at the foot of my bed. Well, that's also good. Maybe like, like can you just uh, come like midday, like, like dinner around- time. Oh, I was thinking like late afternoon. Mm-hmm. Show yeah. up, show up at the end of dinner. Yeah, let's have a cocktail together. Mm-hmm. Okay. We, we eat dinner and then just kind of casually approach. Yeah. So we have time to kind of acclimate to your arrival, oh and then there's yeah, there's daylight. God, there's there's a, a much better way for a lot of these spirits to show up than they tend to tend to show up. Maybe they don't have a sense of time. Okay. And maybe All right. maybe they can't discern daylight from night. Well, if there's any spirits listening, mm-hmm. spread, I just got the chills. I don't like spread, that. Spread a word around the spirit world. To get some fucking watches. <laughs> Synchronize your watches. You're showing up. You can see clocks. You know what? You know, you get, then you can figure out what time zone you're in. But can they read? Can God. Okay. There's so many questions. Learn how to read. Learn how to tell time again. Re- relearn how to tell time. And try and pick better times to show up. Yeah. like Or just like leave like a handwritten note. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'll be back tomorrow. 
You'll be back tomorrow at the end. Uh, at the end of the day, I want to talk to you about something. I know you guys tend to eat at 6. I'll be showing up in the kitchen around 6.45. Oh, my God. That'd be very, just like the most polite ghost. <laughs> I want to be a polite ghost. Yeah? Yeah. Hey, I don't want to bother you guys, but uh, yeah. I need to get some stuff off my chest. I was murdered. I don't want to spook you with it. Uh, right. w- w- what's your schedule like this week? Um, I think mine would be like, leave hey, your leave leave your schedule times on the fridge. I think mine would be like, hey guys, I don't want to freak you out. Mm-hmm. I know you're not going to believe that this is real. I promise you, your dad didn't write this note. Like a long explanation okay. about how yeah. it's definitely me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can you can find out. You can be sure that it's me by like comparing this handwriting to previous mm-hmm. handwriting. Yes, there you go. Right, like a whole long thing. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll show up tomorrow. You'll know it's me because I'll knock on the door three times. Yeah. Well, not three. That's the mark of the devil. Uh, I'll knock on the door twice. Like, whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? All I'll these, see, like, specifics. I'll see, you, I'll see you in a few days. Meanwhile, I'm going to go haunt the neighbor. Oh, yeah. Remember the neighbor we never cared for? I'm going to go haunt him. Yeah. Yeah. The neighbors behind us. Remember the neighbor behind us who wouldn't give us our doll, our dog's balls back? Oh I'm going to go over there and take the balls and throw them through their windows. And mm-hmm. then I'll see you guys tomorrow. I think we're up to about 10 to 15 dog balls in their yard now, by the way. Is that why you that bought can, so many? Yep. That's why I ordered a whole other <laughs> batch. Because my plan now is like, okay, go ahead and keep them. And I'm going to order so many fucking Nerf balls. And I'm not even going to like try to not keep them out of your yard. I'm just going to launch them. And if uh, 10 a week go in your yard, so be it. Because now I want to see how long this goes. Who's going who's gonna to crack first? Are, and you're sh- you're certain that we've like launched a lot of balls over there? Oh, yeah. I personally have done it so many times. I personally have launched balls into their yard at least 10 just myself. No, I never see anybody in their backyard. So I want to. Oh, I do. Know. I've seen them many times. Mm-hmm. Husband and wife, no kids. Right. In their sixties. Yeah. Yep. And so we're just gonna see. We're just gonna see because then, because then once they finally say something, I'm like, so you waited until you took fifty Nerf balls. But are they okay? To mention. Okay. Okay. Question. That, question. Question. The, that annoys you that I shoot them there. Okay. Also, both of their neighbors on either sides have dogs. So, like, is there a chance that? Oh, uh, maybe another neighbor's getting all these Nerf balls. Uh-huh. But I don't think so because they. I have the Nerf gun in the backyard while they're while they're there. Which I guess is possible, but I'm like, if I can see them, they can see me, and they're very unobservant. Mm-hmm. Well, and, uh, and you see them going in their backyard? Do yep. you... They do like the yard work back there. Hmm. I thought they had gardeners. They do, but sometimes they go back there themselves. They go back and they work on the grill. Sometimes when it's warmer, they have dinner out there. Well, yeah, I, know, but, I know all about them. But the but the grill is like back by their house, and it's yep. not like by the fence line. So like it's maybe. Not, but I but I saw the lady one time for sure after I launched the ball, walk over to where the ball would be, bend down, grab something, mm-hmm. and then walk away. Hmm. I feel like that was that Nerf ball and she, and she didn't even bother to look at me. Have you ever bothered to like go knock on her door and be like, hey. Not when they're there. I, 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 we, we went over there once mm-hmm. with the kids and they weren't home. And so, no, no to be fair. So you've I, only I tried once. I only tried once. And, and you didn't yeah. like think to like leave a note like, hey, we're your neighbors behind you. Sorry. Uh, our Some of our fair. dog's balls have okay, gone fair. over your fence. Would you mind tossing them Listen, back over? I enjoy thinking that they're nefarious neighbors who like to steal my Nerf balls. I That's think, more fun to me than just a misunderstanding. So let me just write it out. I think you also like the idea of just driving out the neighbors behind us. True. Because this would be what, like the third or fourth family? The storyteller in me does does want them to be bad people mm-hmm. and it wa- and wa- I want to drive them out just to keep the story going. Okay, fair. Chuck, right. Chuck 3.0, 4.0. Yeah. All right, well, do you want to do some Annabelle shout outs? Yeah. Yeah, you go first this week. Um, I will. I'll go first. Uh, I would like to thank the following Annabelles for supporting us on Patreon. Mostly supporting our Nerf ball habit, apparently. Mostly supporting our Nerf ball funds. Monica Fife, Sierra Watterson, uh, Ili- Iliani Montalvo. Uh, that is a E-L-I-A-N-A-H-Y. I think it's Alane. Alane. Al- Alane. Uh, Amon- Amanda, <laughs> now I'm saying Amanda, 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 Amanda <laughs> Rakowski, uh, Amanda Rakowski, uh, Hillary Urban, Dana Marie, Casey Loggins, hopefully related to Kenny. I know I had that same thought. Cody C. Brown, 
Malia Salazar, Minji, Kelsey Terrell, Kara or Kira A, Samuel Wiley, Fox Chates, uh, Mcho, Jesse Bolstad, Dan Sturgeon, Helen V, Jenny four eight six. Uh, my mind went uh, eight three seven five. It was some like song. How does that go? <laughs> I don't know. Five four three zero oh, nine. <laughs> uh, Jessica Baker, Sabine Ahmed, uh, Kenneth Oliphant, Aaron Powell, Karen and Fiona Deskins. I've always loved the name Fiona. <laughs> it's a good name. Uh, and Jerron. All right. I would like to thank the following Annabelles for supporting Dan's Nerf Ball habit. Uh, Sharon E, Nicole McCandless. Karen Farnsworth, Beth Todd, Jason Ruzicka, Margaret Messmore, Thomas and Elaine Grassel, Marissa Marissa Lassen, McKaylin, M I C H E L E A N. It's McCallahan. It's Michelin Lopez? Michelin. Michelin. McAlillan. I'm really sorry. I'm really. McAlillian. McAlillian. It's McAlillian Lopez. Mm hmm. Great. Marshall Mathers. Oh, my God. Sorry. I think it's McKaylin. Michelin. Okay. I'm sorry. Ariel Sherman. John Penn. David Dodge. It's pronounced Joan Peen. Betsy Soriano. Alexis Brake. John H. Sean Kellier. Ruby Sanchez. Jacqueline Balderas. Connor O'Neill. Amanda Miller. Little Walshie. Fabelina Spopart. Rebecca Brown. Jonathan Mar- Marcico, Lanny Spaulding, and Chloe Oliviano. Al- Al- Olivia, yeah, I think Oliviano. Nice. These are tough names this week, you they guys. Were, really were. stumped us. I, w- I want to be like a restaurant host, mm-hmm. and then just if I had like John Penn, because like no one probably ever messes up John Penn. It's just right. very phonetic. But like uh, J- Joan Peen, party of th- three, Joan Peen, and just to have him be like, how do how do you fuck that up? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That would be pretty fun. Okay. What would you say for Amanda Miller? That's also like a very simple name. Uh, Umunda. <laughs> What's her name? Miller? Uh-huh. Uh, Miller? Myler? Myler. Umunda Miller. Umunda Myler. <laughs> She's like Amanda Miller. Umunda Miller. Umunda Miller. Okay, let's do one more. This, okay. is, this is a fun game. How about, how about, what would you say for Casey Loggins? Casey Loggins? Mm-hmm. Um, Cassie Loggins. <laughs> Cassie Loggins. Casey Loggins, Cassie Lugans. <laughs> this is a fun game. Okay. I feel like we could have a whole board game here. Okay, I would like to do my swoopy shout outs, yeah. please. To Adam from Taylor, happy anniversary. To Aunt Gina, scared to death's number one fan from your number one fans, Steph and Ariel, happy birthday. To Ramsey and Abram from your dad, Zeth, love you guys. To Felix from Delia, happy anniversary. To Erica from Kabuki, happy engagement and anniversary, love you. To Andre from Rebecca, happy one-year anniversary. And to Vanessa from Allie, I love you. Oh, I love you. Uh, that's our show. Thanks for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Email us for everything else, info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. And I'm going to have some fun with our staff's names. Oh, oh let's uh, do it. What do you got? Thanks to uh, Logan Keith and Leah Luz Hernandez <laughs> for their work on social <laughs> media. <laughs> and to Logan... Again, for runningbadmagicmerch.com, thanks to you. Thanks to Joe Pizier <laughs> for producing and directing today. And uh, Zook Coheen for custom sound bed creation. And Heather Rlandier 
for organizing the My Store emails. Thank you to Book Editor. Uh, book Editor. <laughs> <laughs> Do you? Atana! Atana! No, uh, his last name is Atana. I know, I gotta. Ariana. Atana. Uh, Atiana. Atana. I have to add Atana, letters. Atana. Atana. Atana for helping format the listener stories each week. Thanks to producer um, uh, Safi uh, Evans for helping today's first story. You sound like some crazy German. And to producer um, Sura Feinch for finding the second. <laughs> what is happening? Sura Feinch. If you want ad free episodes, monthly bonus episodes, invites to the List Looks Awesome Horror Movie Watch Parties with um, Leinzi and I. <laughs> Uh, to help donate to our charities and more, please check out our Patreon. Enjoy your nightmares, crips, and peppers. <laughs> Hope you're scared to death. <laughs> if spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through, but has no home here within, scared to death. Bad Magic Productions. 